Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Well, good morning, you guys. I'm so excited about this message today, but let me tell you, I feel like I was dragged through the mud to get this message out. Like my spirit wanted to preach this message, but my body was not cooperating. But we made it, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. So this is actually part six of this series, God of Miracles. I don't know if we've ever done a six-part series since I've been the lead pastor, but we're just going to keep on rolling and going. You see, many people believe that God withholds miracles, and I hope by now I've convinced you that he does not. But some people think that he only dishes them out when he wants to, as he wants to, or whenever we've done everything perfectly. And it's actually that kind of incorrect thinking that keeps us from receiving the miracles that he's already provided for us. Because the miracle already exists, y'all. He promised you healing. He promised you provision. He promised you protection. You find all these things in the word. And the only reason you don't have them in your life is because you haven't cooperated with the word. You've been cooperating with the devil through your doubt and your unbelief. So step one to seeing miracles is what do we got to do? We got to stop blaming God. This isn't God's fault. This is your fault. That's the good news of the day. So the core scripture for the series is found in Mark chapter 11. And we're going to read this again because it's just so good. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it'll happen. But you must really believe it'll happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. I want to pause right there because we've never highlighted this part of the scripture, but there's two tenses going on there. If you believe you've received it, past tense, then it will be future tense, yours. You have to believe you've received it before you've ever seen it. That's the hardest part about faith, isn't it? But you can do it. God's equipped you to do it. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Three weeks ago, that turned out to be a really powerful message, and I heard so many testimonies after during that week. I, I made the call, Cade, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was worth it. That's it's awesome. I'm just I'm so happy for that because we got to forgive first. <laughs> That's the first thing we got to do. But in this short lesson from Jesus, he gives us those four things that determine our ability to receive miracles. Go ahead and write these down again. I just want to make sure that we get them. That's why we say them every time. Have faith in God, speak your faith, remove the doubt, and forgive others. And we've talked about all four of these in detail already. And if you miss any of them, you'll find them on our website. So go listen to them there. But today I want to talk about something that's actually going to help us with all four of these things. You see, just two weeks ago, my dad talked about the difference between power and authority. Y'all remember that? We often get them confused. And even those who translated the Bible often interchanged one Greek word with power and authority. They'd use power and authority to describe one Greek word. And I get it. They seem synonymous, but we have to understand the difference. And there's no better way than to examine the original Greek words that they used to translate. So let's look at them. My dad went over these two. The first one's exousia. And sometimes they translated it authority. Sometimes they translated it power. But what it means is power of choice mental or physical power, power of influence, and of privilege. And then you have dunamis, which was translated to power, and it means power for performing miracles or moral power. So you can see why power and authority are often interchangeable words, right? But do you see the difference now that you look at the definitions? Exousia has to do with power in our natural 
realm, power of choice, mental or physical power, power of influence or privilege. That's all natural stuff. But dunamis has to do with power in the spiritual realm. That's the difference. And that's good stuff. And both of these types of power have the ability to bring God's promises into your life. Both of them do. And we all can understand how dunamis, God's miracle working power, like we get how that can bring a miracle into our life, right? We've seen it happen in somebody else's life, or maybe it's happened in your life. But what about the power and authority that we have in this physical realm? That's the one that we struggle to understand because most Christians, and I know this to be true because most Christians just sit around and they wait for God to perform a miracle when God might just be waiting on you to exercise the power and authority that he's given you over this natural world. So today I'm going to help you understand this God-given authority and get ready because it's probably going to uncover a lot of wrong thinking. But that is a good thing because we have to get rid of the wrong thinking in order to remove the doubt. But have you ever noticed how there's always a battle for authority? Between you and your kids, between you and your spouse, between the manager and the supervisor. I mean, it's an all-out battle between the self-proclaimed president-elect and the actual guy that's still the president of the United States. I mean, there's just a battle for authority everywhere that you look. So if we're going to understand our God-given authority on this earth, we have to understand what is going to come against and try to steal away our God-given authority. And you guys probably already know the answer to this question. It's Satan, or the devil, or the enemy, or whatever you want to call him. You can call him whatever you want to. Call him a punk. That's a good name for him. But the most common understanding is that Satan was once an angel called Lucifer, and he was a mighty angel, and he was most likely the worship leader of heaven. And there's actually scripture that leads us to believe that he had musical instruments built into his body. How cool is that? Dylan, that would be an upgrade, huh? If your guitar was just built in. And you'll find all this described in Isaiah 14, and Ezekiel 28. And although we have limited information about the origin of Satan, so far, like, all this seems accurate because we have scripture to back it up. But then there's one scripture that's found in Revelation 12 where popular theology seems to get off track when it comes to Satan. Let's read it. Revelation 12, verse 4 says, His tail swept away one-third of the stars of the sky, and he threw them to the earth. So there's this idea out there that Satan convinced one-third of the angels to join in his rebellion against God, and it's all based on this one very symbolic scripture. You don't find mention of it anywhere else. This scripture is not explained later on. This is all based on this one scripture. And to base an entire doctrine over one symbolic scripture is a really bad idea. We're actually taught in Bible school that you need to have at least three scripture references for every doctrine before you start to teach it. Nevertheless, people read into this, and they even start to believe that Satan and the angels, they rebelled, and they were cast down to earth before Adam and Eve were created, so all this evil was already here before Adam and Eve were created. And they like to fill in the gap with their own ideas between Genesis 1-1, where it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and then Genesis 1-2, where it says, earth, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. They propose that Satan and the angels were thrown down between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, and then the earth was recreated in Genesis 1-3, where God said, let there be light. Am I the only one that's heard that theology? It's out there, and it's popular. Crazy stuff. You, see, you guys see this as foolishness, though, right? There's, there's no scripture to back it up. They're just filling in the gaps with their own ideas. This is simply like an idea that people had about Satan, and it's, in, it's destructive because then it points us to believe that 
before Adam and Eve were even put on the earth, Satan was already here, and that's, that's actually destructive to our faith. I think we all know this doesn't make sense, but we just kind of write it off as, well, you know, if, if, if Satan weren't here, then how would we know if Adam and Eve had free will? Because there would be no evil, good, evil, that sort of thing. Well, that's a bunch of bull, because God didn't need Satan to give them free will. He put a tree on the earth to give them free will. You guys know this. It's found in Genesis 2, 16. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the tree, the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So there's the free will right there. We didn't need Satan on the earth to give these guys free will. But what I'm trying to show you is there's really nothing that leads us to believe that Satan and the fallen angels were here before Adam and Eve, the only thing that makes us believe this is someone's stupid idea that people latched onto and then spread around like a bunch of, I don't know what, cow poo. You know, it's just like the idea that gets spread around our culture right now that you can choose your gender. That's like the other cow poo message that's going around right now. Or how about that we evolved from apes? I mean, come on, guys, shall I go on? Like, I probably shouldn't. I should probably stop right there, so... But you know, some even think that God sent Adam or sent Satan to tempt Adam and Eve, like with some kind of test to test their loyalty or, or something like that. But this would be equivalent to me telling my two-year-old to go out in the backyard and play when I knew there was a hungry lion hiding in the bushes. You'd consider that irresponsible. You would probably call DHS on me. But then we passively latch on to the idea that God did the same type of thing with Adam and Eve. I'm gonna call it. BS. That's what it is. There's no way that God put Adam and Eve in the garden with Satan so that Satan could tempt them. This is made up theology, and it's ludicrous, and it's destructive to your faith. So it's time to erase it out of your mind. So what really happened? How did the worship leader of heaven become Satan? The Bible doesn't totally explain it, but there are scriptures that we can look at to get a more wholesome view. You see, everything we've talked about so far are just ideas that people inserted between scriptures, but we're actually going to look at scripture to get a better idea of what really happened. So we know that Satan was once an angel, and we find this out in Ezekiel 28, 14. It says, I ordained you and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. This is talking about Lucifer. And we know that angels have an assignment, and their assignment is to care for mankind. And we find that in Hebrews 1.14. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who, inherit, who will inherit salvation. And we also know that before Satan's rebellion against God, before his rebellion against God, he was still an angel at this point, and he was in the Garden of Eden when he was an angel. Everybody say, when he was an angel. Yes, and we find that in Ezekiel 28.13. It says, you were in Eden. The garden of God, your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. We're describing the angel, Lucifer, here when he was in the garden of Eden. So from this, we can see that Lucifer, the angel, was there in the garden with Adam and Eve. Don't miss this. Keep in mind, we're talking about the angel before he rebelled against God. And since angels are sent to care for mankind or to serve them, that must have been what Lucifer was in the garden for. That was his assignment. Go care for Adam and Eve. So he was here to serve Adam and Eve, and that's quite a bit of different perspective than what you thought all this time, isn't it? So if it was all fine and dandy at this point, like what caused Lucifer to become Satan and deceive Eve into eating of the forbidden tree? Well, in Ezekiel 28, it gives us an explanation. It says, you were blameless in all, in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty, and your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. Uh-oh. It sounds like 
the fall of Lucifer was simply because he elevated himself above God. He was quite awesome already, but in his mind, he wasn't awesome enough. He wanted to be more awesome than God, and he wanted everybody to notice. And earlier this year, do you guys remember when we talked about how all sin is rooted in elevating self, every single one of them? Like it's when a woman's body becomes more important than the baby that's in her womb. It's when my sexual desires become more important than the truth that I find in the Word of God. And I know you guys understand this, but now you see where it comes from, right? Satan started all this. The first sin on the earth was because Satan elevated himself above God. And now look at our culture. Like it's unreal how far we've come with elevating ourselves. We love to elevate ourselves. It's the American way. So when Satan was here as an angel, he was here to serve mankind. But because he was so full of himself, I imagine he didn't like his assignment very much. Anybody? I mean, have you ever encountered someone who didn't want to clean the restrooms because, well, they were too important or, or something like that? I imagine this was the same type of thing going on in Lucifer's head about Adam and Eve. Like, I have to serve these guys? Like, they like have to go poop over there in the, in the, in the grass. And these guys, this is gross. <clears throat> but on top of this, he had to watch God hang out with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and have a good time with them. And God gave them all power and all authority over the earth. The angels didn't have that. Man. And I bet that uh, Satan, he probably wanted that. I want that authority. And so I think we can see why he decided to deceive Eve. But now that we've cleared all that up, you're ready to understand exousia, which simply means we have authority in our physical world. So let's talk about authority. Go ahead and write this down. God gave authority to mankind. When God created us, he gave us authority, complete authority over all the earth. And it sounds too good to be true, but it's absolutely true. Just take a look at it. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image and in our likeness, and let them have complete authority over all the earth and everything that creeps upon the earth. And I want you to notice there's no restrictions on the authority that God gave us. He said complete authority over all. And he didn't say, if, if you do everything right, then you can have this authority. There's no if statement. He just gave it to us. God simply said, you have complete authority over the earth and everything on it, no conditions. It belongs to you. Go out there and rule and reign over this earth. Imagine how much more you could get done if your boss treated you the same way. If he gave you complete authority over your position at work, man, that would be a good day, wouldn't it? I imagine your work would be much more effective and much more efficient. See, God knew what he was doing. He knew we could and we would mess it up. But the alternative, that was just annoying. Like if he didn't give us all authority, then we'd have to be asking him permission before we cook our meal or before we have sex with our spouse or, you know, whatever. God, can I, is it okay if I do this? It'd be like that job that we all worked where the manager wanted approval for everything. Ugh, like that's just annoying. <laughs> Anyways, God wants you to exercise the authority he's given you. He's given you complete authority over this physical world. He's given you authority over sickness. He's given you authority to provide for your family. Let me show it to you in one more scripture, Psalms 115, 16. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. God has given you complete authority over the earth, no conditions. Yet, what do we do with it? Mankind gives authority to Satan. Seriously, this is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. God gave them complete authority and they just handed it over to Satan. And now look where we are. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Question, 
Who made Satan the God of this world? We did, and we still do. God gave us complete authority over the earth. He didn't give it to Satan. He gave it to us, and we handed it over to Satan and allowed him to become the God of this world. You know what's crazy about all this? That we still do it? That we still do it. Satan has no authority of his own. All he has is stolen authority. But there's so many people in this world that just willingly hand over their authority to Satan that he became the God of this world, and he still is because of it. So how do we know when we've given our authority to Satan? Well, it's really clear in Scripture. In Romans 6, 16, it says, Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. In other words, you're either going to be Satan's slave or you're going to have authority over Satan, one or the other. And the only way you can become his slave is if you choose sin over righteousness. We live in really challenging times. Sin is celebrated in our culture. And if you speak against it, you're accused of a hate crime. There's definitely a loving way to confront sin and a hateful way to confront sin. But let me tell you this, if you're celebrating sin, you're basically celebrating slavery to the devil. When you tell somebody, it's okay, I know the Bible says you shouldn't sin, but you know, Jesus loves everybody, so, so don't, don't worry about it. You might as well just say, it's easier and more comfortable to be a slave to the devil than to pursue righteous living. So yeah, just, just go ahead and be a slave. It's kind of like telling somebody who was released from prison, just, just go ahead and stay in prison. Like, it's more comfortable there. They'll, you have a bed to sleep in, and they'll take care of your needs, and you don't have to try to build all those relationships with family again. It's just easier there. So, so just stay there. But here's the deal. When you live a life of sin, you give your authority to Satan, and you become his slave. Simple as that. You know, we all sin. We all sin from time to time even myself. But there's a difference between living in sin and living in a constant state of repentance where you turn away from your sin and towards God as many times as it takes. There's some people, though, they just choose, I'm going to live in sin. I know it's sin, and I'm going to do it anyway. And that's what I'm talking about. That is slavery to the devil. So God gave us complete authority, no conditions, and then we willingly hand it over to Satan. And all this time, you thought that Satan had some kind of superior power and authority over you, but he doesn't. And I love how Andrew Womack says it. He says, the devil is not using a superior power and authority against us. He's actually using the same power and authority that God gave mankind over the earth. Bam. Satan has no power of his own. He depends completely on mankind to empower him to do what he does on this earth. Listen to me. Satan is powerless to do anything on this earth until somebody cooperates with him. That's the truth. So quit being so afraid. He's a wimp. He's got nothing. He's got no power and authority. So don't give him your authority. And now the good news is if you have given your authority to the devil, which we all have at some point in our lives, we can admit that you can take it back today and you can take it back at any point. But once you have it in your possession, you have to maintain it because as soon as you take up your authority, he's going to try to get it from you. I think this is the one message that he hates the most. And that's why there's been so much resistance in me trying to get this message out here. He doesn't want you to know your authority. And then once you know it, he's going to try to steal it from you. So I want you to be aware of that because probably whenever you leave church today, he's going to try to steal it away from you with something. So let's talk about how to maintain your authority. And here's the first thing you need to do. I will resist sin. 
And this seems really obvious, but if we're, if, we're, if we're honest, like we like to cover this one with a blanket statement of God loves me, so he understands that I'm going to sin. And we just leave it. Let's, let's talk about that idea, can we? Let's start with this awesome scripture, Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There you go. God's love is greater than sin. Sin will never keep God from loving you. Your good behavior or your bad behavior won't cause God to love you more or to love you less. God's love, he loves you regardless. It's unconditional. Isn't that good news? So let's just stop reading because that just feels good. Let's just stop right there. Like I'm so glad to know that I can just keep doing what I'm doing and God will still love me. And he will. He will always love you. But we're mature believers here. So let's go ahead and go to the next chapter and, and see, what, see what he says next. Romans 6, verse 1, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Oh, man, caught dead in our tracks, <laughs> right? God knew that we would try to use his love as an excuse to keep sinning, so he just provided the truth for us in an easy way to understand. So when you get saved by believing in Jesus, did you all know that it's more than a ticket to heaven? Let me tell you what really happens. You die. You die. The person who you were before Jesus dies. And then he gives you new life. He gives you new life. And that's why it's called being born again. Your old sinful nature dies and you're born again with the ability to live life free from sin for the glory of God. That's what salvation is all about. Let me show it to you in scripture. Romans 6, 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Amen. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Mm. We've got to stop celebrating sin. It has to stop. We've got to stop tolerating it. It's destructive. If we want to maintain the authority that God has given us, we have to resist sin every time. Resist it, get rid of it, kill it, slay it. Be on an all-out fight to get rid of sin in your life. Now, you don't have to do it in somebody else's life. I feel like I should clear that up right now. So quit thinking about the people that you think need to be free from sin. We're talking about you. (laughs) Free from sin. All right, James says it really well. He says, so humble yourselves before God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we're talking about how to maintain our God-given authority. And the first thing is we got to resist sin, also known as resisting the devil. And here's the next one. I will pursue righteousness. So when resisting sin, all of a sudden, you have more time on your hands. You're no longer watching that raunchy TV show every night. You're no longer spending hours a day looking at porn or whatever your thing is, you know. And if you don't replace all your new free time with the right things, you'll end up doing the wrong things again. This is true with anything in life. Like the more you sit around, the more lazy you become. You don't get motivated to do more work, right? This is why so many people keep falling back into sin. They're successful in resisting sin for a little while, but they don't pair it with pursuing righteousness, so they eventually end up right back where they started. And here's the answer to that in 2 Timothy 2. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Run! Resist sin and resist anything that would lead to sin, right? 
And in its place, you pursue righteous living. Be faithful to God. You look for ways to love other people. Do whatever it takes to maintain peace. That's what righteousness looks like. And I love the last part of this verse. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Y'all, we don't spend enough time together. Our lives would be so much more fulfilling if we would just get rid of some of that stuff and dedicate that time into building relationships with those that we know are fellow believers. All right, so we're going to resist sin. We're going to pursue righteousness. And here's the last one. I will put on God's armor. The fight for authority is not a physical fight. Like there's not a special kind of underwear that you can get to help you resist sexual sin. There's not a shot collar that you can get to keep you from speaking evil. This doesn't exist. We got to recognize this as a spiritual fight. And actually everything that we come against is a spiritual fight. Our fight is not against people. It's against the evil spiritual forces that are influencing people. That's hard to wrap your mind around. You've got to hear that about a hundred times before you get it. But let me show it to you in Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So now that you see that we're in a spiritual fight, let's just back up one verse. In Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles, that sounds like a country term, right? The word wiles here literally means deception. Deception. In other words, Satan's only power is deception. That's the only thing he's got. He can't force you to do anything. He can't make you sin. He can't make you sin, y'all. But he can try to deceive you, and he's good. He's real good at deception. He's been at this a while, and he knows how to get you off track. And if you don't put on the armor of God, you have no chance against the deception of the enemy. This has never been more clear to me than this year. Deception is like on steroids right now. And so many people don't even see it. So many Christians don't even see it. They're oblivious to it. Why? Because they don't have their armor on. They're clothed in what the media has to say. And the enemy is just having a heyday with it. That is exactly what's going on. But this doesn't have to be you. If you want to stand against the deception, all you got to do is put on the armor of God. And you probably learned about this in Sunday school. But let's do a quick review of the armor of God. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 6. First thing, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Without truth, we have no chance against the enemy. We must believe that the word of God is truth and that everything else is a lie. And I'm not picking on this little area, but it's like the most uh, relevant and the easiest for us to understand. But that's the LGBTQ movement that we hear about almost every day. Like the Bible tells us homosexuality is a sin and it's destructive to your life. Culture tells you something else. So what are you going to do? Are you going to believe the truth? Or are you going to believe a lie? Because you got to put on the belt of truth and you can't put on the truth if you're agreeing with the lies. Without truth, the rest of the armor doesn't even matter because the belt is what holds everything else on. So if you don't have the belt on, all the rest of your armor is just going to fall off. So it all starts with truth. The next thing, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So now we're talking about obedience. Like we settled that the truth of God's word, that God's word is true. And now we're going to apply it to our lives. Now we were made righteous by the blood of Jesus. God sees us through the blood of Jesus. He is completely righteous. Isn't that good news? But we still need to pursue 
righteousness because righteousness is our breastplate. It's what protects our most vital organs. It's what keeps us close to God and keeps us alive in God. And then ha- and having your shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And peace was a gift given to us by Jesus. It's what enables us to stand firm when everything else around us is shaking. When we allow worry or fear into our lives, we lose our footing against the devil and we fall. That's why you have to have shoes of peace because that's what enables you to stand and be firm. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we talked about faith in detail at the first week of this series. And basically what faith is, is confidence in God's word. You believe God's word more than you believe your circumstances. That's what faith is. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So if we have not taken time to hear and hear and hear and hear what the word of God has to say about healing, you're going to get hit by the fiery dart of sickness. If you haven't taken time to hear and hear and hear and hear what God's word has to say about provision, then you're going to get hit with the fiery dart of poverty and lack. Everything always comes back to your commitment to the word of God. If you're not hearing it every day, multiple times a day, you're doing yourself a disservice. God's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you, but you should be mad at you. But don't waste one moment in regret. Just shift around and pursue the word of God. And take the helmet of salvation. Do you ever struggle with negative thinking? Yeah, that's what the helmet of salvation is for, to protect your mind. The way you overcome negative thinking is just to remember the salvation that was provided to you in Jesus Christ. You didn't do anything to earn it. He gave it to you as a free gift. Nobody can take it away from you. You put that on, and all of a sudden, all the negative thinking has to go. All that thinking that you're worthless or that you have to stay sick forever, it just all dissipates. So counter every wrong thought with that simple truth. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Finally, a weapon. And we're talking, what we're talking about here is speaking the word of God. When the enemy lies to you and you speak the word of God out loud, it's kind of like swords are flying out of your mouth. And I want you all to visualize it that way because it makes it a whole lot more fun to speak the word of God if you just know that the animal's having to dodge all the swords that are coming out of your mouth. Good stuff. All right, y'all, we've covered a lot of ground today, but here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to take home. Here's what I want you to decide. I will use and maintain my God-given authority. God has given you authority over sickness. He's given you authority over finances. He's given you authority over all the work of the devil. But keep in mind, God has not given you authority over people. So please do not pervert this message today as a way to go out and try to control the other people in your life. You can't control them but you can't, you have authority over your life. You have authority over your family. And because you have authority over your own life, I encourage you to exercise that authority by making three commitments. I will resist sin, I will pursue righteousness, and I will put on God's armor. So I want you to take a moment right now, just bow your heads. I want you to have that conversation with God and make those commitments that I will resist sin, I will pursue righteousness, and I will put on God's armor.
Just go ahead and keep your eyes closed. Somebody needs to, to hear this. Now that you know your authority, the core scripture for the series, like there's a part of it that's going to make a lot more sense to you now where it says to speak to the mountain. Sometimes we pray and we ask God to do these things in our life. God, please heal me. God, if it's your will, heal me or, or whatever. But God's like, no, by giving you authority, I don't want you to go speak to your mountain. So your mountain is sickness and you speak to it. You don't speak to God about your mountain. You speak to your mountain about God. And that's just a shift you got to make. And you're going to catch yourself now going to talk to God about your mountain. And he'll listen. He loves you. And he'll remind you, hey, why don't you go speak to your mountain so it can be thrown into the sea. So Lord, we speak to that mountain of sickness and we command it to go. Depression, I command you to go in the name of Jesus. Do you want to share what you're writing there? She likes to just sit down there and write the words that God gives her for the church. <laughs> I always assume they're for me, but she shouldn't call me out like that. <laughs> Okay, so I wrote down, uh, Satan only has the power that we give him, as what you have said, which is really hard to wrap your brain around, but he only has the power that you give him. And it's like, a leader is only empowered by the people who follow them. For example, if we had a certain political person and... Nobody was like, oh, they're just talking a bunch of Spanish or something. You literally can't understand. It's a different language. You just have no, um, you don't connect with them. You don't, you know, you just kind of, eh, and you don't know who it is and you just move on. That person doesn't have a platform anymore to stand on. There's no army behind them that's backing them up. And so I was, I was getting this like vision of like, you're either in the little children's church song, you're either in the Lord's army or Satan's army. And I feel like the year of 2020, especially, there's that great divide. You have to pick a side. Otherwise, you're going to kind of go crazy. You really will. Because it's a spiritual battle. And we all know the spiritual is what affects the physical. The spiritual is what affects the physical. So what side are you going to be on? Like you said earlier, it's really cool to recognize like, oh, wait a second, I'm in Satan's army. I'm believing his lies. And you're like, wait a second, your, your eyes are being opened. The scales are being removed from your eyes and you realize it. And then all you got to do is turn away. You just change teams like, oh, hold up. I'm on this side. I want to be in the Lord's army. I want to be on his side. I just thought that was really cool. I was like, you just got to pick a side. It's just a simple choice. Just like your simple choice of salvation. 
That's it. That was cool. Yeah, I think we were given that word because the deception of the enemy wants to make you think that it's complicated, like to make this change in your life, but it's really as easy as turning around and saying, I'm going to take my authority. Y'all want you to get fierce against Satan. He's a wimp. He's a turd. Like he's crafty at deception. I'll give him that, but nothing else. He deserves our swords to be hurled at him every day. So just let him fly. I believe God's raising an army. And an army is needed in these end times. And I hadn't said much about this, but let me give you a a quick word about the election. I don't want you all to fear it. I don't want you all to be concerned about it. I know it looks like it's going one way, but I still have this very real expectation in my spirit that it's going to flip around. And when it does, it could get very hairy. It could get very scary. And that's why you have to know these things, because we don't have to fear Psalm 91, that sucker, right out of your life. There's nothing to fear because God's looking out for you. He's given his angels charge over you. And as long as you make him your refuge, you have to, you have something to do. You have to make him your refuge in order to be under that protection. So make him your refuge and trust him for that protection. All right, let's pray to close this out. God, we thank you so much for your word today and that it went into our hearts, into fertile ground, and it's going to grow a harvest a hundredfold. We thank you that these seeds were not on hard ground. They're not going to be blown away. They're not going to be snatched away by the devil. None of that stuff. This was fertile ground today. We're going to take this, and it's going to grow a harvest in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We thank you for helping us realize our God-given authority. And as the enemy tries to take it away from us, we thank you that you've given us the courage to stand and the tools that we need to stand against him to resist him, and he will flee. So we make a choice to resist the devil and to pursue righteousness and to put on your armor and to stand here safe and secure and at peace. Choosing joy. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, that's good stuff. I know looking around that everybody in this room has given your life to Jesus, but I wanted to speak online to anybody that maybe you haven't committed your life to Jesus yet, and you heard this today, and you're like, man, I want to be in the Lord's army. Well, it's as simple as making a decision. You confess with your mouth, Jesus you are my Lord. I want to follow you. I want to live with you. I want to be on your team. And it's as simple as that. That's when you're made a new creation. That old person dies and he gives you a new life in Christ. But you need a team of people to help you out through this journey because you don't want to walk that out alone. So, and we want to be those people for you. So we can't be that for you if we don't know about it. So all you got to do is text the word Jesus to 918-373-9883. And we'll reach back out to you. And we'll help you walk you through this awesome journey that's ahead. So please go ahead and send that text. Now, as you probably know, you've probably seen it on Facebook, and I've told you about it already, but we're giving free haircuts on Wednesday. It's really cool because Destiny Montgomery, she lined up five stylists to make this happen and she put in all the work and yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Thank you, Destiny. So that opened up 30 appointments that we had available and they were all already booked in the mid of last week. I mean, so this was definitely needed and we're excited to do that. We also delivered our 300 cans of corn for the Thanksgiving outreach last week. Uh, Those will go towards the 150 Thanksgiving baskets that we're going to hand out to people in our community who need them. Y'all are so generous, and it's your generosity that enables us to do these things. And honestly, I look forward to what's coming next. Destiny's just kind of been fired up to do things, and we've already been talking about what's next. We're thinking maybe like some free oil changes, but we're going to have to enlist the guy in the back back there to, to help us with that or something of that nature. If you guys have an idea on how to reach out to our community that's just kind of like not something that other people are already doing, there's no reason for us to replicate. 
what's being done well already. And the food thing's taken care of. Our community does really well with that. So be thinking about other ways that we can serve people in our community. And if you come up with something, you can talk to me or you can talk to Destiny. If you're ready to give today and you're giving by cash or check, just raise your hand for an offering envelope. One of our ushers will bring it to you. Or you can give online anytime. And where you do that is at nolimits.fyi. You'll tap the giving button there. It'll get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.